told you he was ready. <laughs> you told me he was ready, but you didn't back him. You didn't think he was ready enough to predict that he might go deep in the tournament where he reached the final. That is true, because I thought he was going to lose to Kyrgios in the first round. That was the only reason. And he nearly did lose to Kyrgios in the first round. He should have lost to Kyrgios in the first round. But he didn't. <laughs> Played brilliant. Oh, what a week for my man, Riley Opelka. It's been a long time coming, but he's on the charge now, up to the top 10. He will be there at some point in 2022. In all seriousness, because um, fair play to you. you, you did call it and you've heard called it for a while. But what is it that you've seen in Opelka of late that made you think he was capable of putting a run like this together? Well, during this week particularly, I mean, I commentated his match against Kyrgios and then through the second round and he was just looking so confident, so calm, so focused on what he was doing. We know he's got the weapons, but he was moving really well. I don't know, just everything looked like he it was coming together. And it does take a little bit of time for this sort of game style to settle. I mean, you just got such a, a huge serve. Um, but yeah, I mean, the movement, the backhand, the backhand is just so solid now. I mean, he was winning... Like long, long rallies. I mean, he won, won the match point after a 21-shot rally. And I think in every match I did of his, which was most of them, um, you have on the, the stats give us the um, rally length and how many times people have won them. And it was rally length over nine shot longs. He was always winning more than the other person, even when he was playing counter punches. It was ridiculous, except for maybe against Medvedev, which is sort of fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's fantastic. And as I say... I, I, I do say that he's on the way to the top 10, but I've also been saying that about Sinner. And then you start thinking, okay, well, who are you taking out of the top 10? <laughs> because you've got, it's so strong, right? Okay, you've got Shapovalov in 10th. Maybe he's vulnerable. You've got uh, Nadal is uh, potentially close. I mean, if we're looking at the race for this year, I think he's in 7th or 8th, something like that. Um, so there are chances but uh but yeah it's pretty tough to look at those guys you know Rublev, Medvedev, Sitsipas and think that they shouldn't be <laughs> or that they okay, won't well be in the top 10. Well there's one space that's going to come available in the top 10 very shortly and that's Roger Federer. Yes he's yes. currently he's uh, currently I was thinking about the, the race he's you're not looking top at the, 10 race. In the race. Okay no he's, he's not, not top 10 in the race. No that would be <laughs> even for Federer <laughs> that would be impressive if he'd somehow managed to get himself. No that was in the actual ranking rankings in terms of the race you've got Djokovic Tsitsipas Berrettini Rublev Zverev Medvedev Nadal Hercatch Rude and Karatsev if you want the if you want the race the race yeah Oh, no, well, Sinner, actually. Sorry, Sinner's just gone in ahead of Karatsev. Right. There you go. But, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, somebody like Rude is, of course, pretty clay-heavy. He picked up those 750 points you know, for the rest of the season. Also, post-US Open, there aren't really any clay court events to play, so maybe somebody will be able to, able to overtake him. I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult. As I say, you sort of look at these people and you go, yeah, Sinner will be in the top 10, and yeah, Opel could be in the top 10 and, and whoever, but, uh, yeah, they're going to have to kick... Well, out. I think the, the the top six, if we're looking at the race, looks quite set and settled. Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Berrettini, Rublev, Zverev in that order. And then from seven to ten, I think there are places up for grabs. And seven is Nadal, and eight is Rude, then Hercatch, and then Sinner. And I do, and you've got to remember, we've got Dominic Team will be back at some point. So I, I think there are places up for grabs and hovering outside in the race at eleven. 
Karatsev, after everything he's done to this point, the Shapoval of Cameron Norrie, who's been having a stunning year, Pablo Crena Busta, Roberto Bautista Agut, and Felix Ogiliasim. And your man, Riley Opelka, is at 18th in the race as it stands. Well, so- he's not going to get in the top 10 this year, but maybe... Maybe 2022. That's what I'm saying. So I'm 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 assuming then that you have picked him to win Cincinnati. No, I haven't. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I need to actually get up my picks. No, I haven't. I thought it might be a little bit fatigued, different conditions. That's my uh, that's my argument there. That's fair enough. No. No. Well, yeah. Well, I've got Medvedev to win. So if you're thinking about fatigue, but Medvedev's yeah, but Medvedev always doesn't always fatigue. Tired. He just goes week after week. And didn't I read that the semi-finalists were flown by private jet to Cincinnati? Probably. I read that somewhere. Yeah. So that takes that no, that takes a little bit of the pain of the of the of the queuing up and the waiting and the getting on a flight. But I've gone Medvedev. I've gone with Sinner again. I know he yeah. looked a, a wee bit injured in the Rogers Cup, but I've gone for Sinner. I think he's off to a winner. And Ugo Umber. I don't even know if he's still in. Umber played great. Do you oh, know, I, yeah, that was, that was it. I said last week, didn't I? I texted you through that match saying, I bloody love him. No, but has he played his first round match? I don't uh, know. No, I don't know. He's, he's, my, he's my third one in my picks. But as we know, prediction-wise, if anyone wants to follow me in anything, please never be predictions because I'm just really bad. Genuinely. Yeah. Well, it is Genuinely. really hard. So someone who is winning, again, is, is Guillaume Monfils. So he got married. I picked him. He got... <laughs> Well, I was just wondering. He got married and started winning again. I wondered when you got married, did you feel he could do anything different or better? Not really. I was sort of overwhelmed <laughs> with the feeling of sameness. Oh, wow. That okay. It, was. <laughs> it wasn't any different. I was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly how it was uh, last week, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, Monfils, it's obviously a different a different feeling to you then. He's obviously feeling married and an, an extra little something. Well, yeah, getting it together. But I think... Yes, maybe that. I'm, he's clearly very happy in his life, which always helps. But yeah. also, his back's against the wall now. I mean, his ranking will plummet to like 100. Yeah, yeah. 80 maybe. I mean, he is, it was the first time he won back-to-back matches all year in um, in Toronto, I believe. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's now or never. The, the ranking will start tumbling. He's still got 2019 points on. They are coming off. Um, he had a really good run at the beginning of 2020. Uh, I believe, I don't even know if he's got those points. It's a bit confusing with the, the point system. But anyway, he's massively overranked. He's still ranked like, I think it was the 20, uh, 21 or something. I don't know. He's massively overranked. <laughs> he's just one of those players. And I love Monfils. I've picked him to do well this week. I've always loved him being the top 10. I would love him to get back into the top 20. But he's not playing at that level and he hasn't been playing at that level for 18 months no it's 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 been very difficult for him and he is in the twilight of his career I I feel like every week I'm sort of writing people off but he is age-wise and the injuries he's had to deal with that you know he's at the other end of his career but it's good to see when I'm just trying to see oh in the race (laughs) he's 108 there you go go. but he's actually ranked 20 (laughs) yeah he's he's 108 in the race but the big news there's it had actually been loads of news since we last spoke, was, was Roger Federer released a little video and he'd initially said that he wasn't going to the Olympics because of his knee. We saw what happened when he lost in straight sets at Wimbledon to Hubert Hercatch and was bageled in the third set. But it was uh, it was a tough listen and a tough watch, the little video that he released talking about an operation 
talking about being out for many months, talking about being on crutches for a few weeks, and talking about wanting to give himself a glimmer, a glimmer of hope to return to the tour in some shape or form. And you could feel the wave of devastation move through <laughs> the tennis world. And it's not unexpected. It's been difficult because he's not been around really for for quite some time. But yeah, it's never nice to, to hear that. We were just hoping that we'd be able to see him play fairly consistently for a while. But that's just clearly not the case. So um yeah, gutted, as is everybody, really. I mean, it has to come to an end at some point. Turned 40. Um, but, yeah, I know. And I know people say that it's unfair that, you know, you should be able to go out on your terms, but it very rarely happens. Very rarely mm. happens across all of sport that you get to go and do your little farewell tour and be absolutely fine for it. Either you're sort of hanging on by a thread, just desperately trying to get yourself to the court, or your body just won't allow it, or your mind won't either. Sometimes you're just done with it. So it's yes, it would be lovely for him to pop back to a few of his favourite tournaments next year to wave everybody off. But if that's not right for him, then he shouldn't do it, really. Um, yeah, I don't know. It it pff, can't really say. It's it's unexpected. I think there's one more Wimbledon in him. Do you he's think he'll try and push? Try. And he's probably going to try, but as I say, sometimes it's not really up to you. Um, it might not be up mm. to him. His body might just say no. So, I think even if you go out on your own terms, it must be hard. I remember Flavia Panetta winning the US Open and saying, you know, I'm done. And, and Marion Bartley, we've spoken about this before. She goes out as the Wimbledon champion, but she said, look, I just couldn't, my body just couldn't do it anymore. But I imagine if you... If you go out on a high, which would be, I don't know, becoming number one in the world or, or winning a Grand Slam, the hardest thing must then be to think to yourself, well, maybe I could win another one. So there, I don't know if there is an easy way to hang up your racket or whatever sport it is. Because if you go out at the very top, that must be really hard because there must be parts of you thinking, well, hang on a second. I've just won the US Open or I've just reached number one in the world. So what's still possible? even if it's probably the right decision. And then if your body gives up before you're ready, mentally, it must be really hard to align the two that the, the mind is willing and the body isn't. Who, whoever thinks that it's easy to just move, walk away from your lifelong passion and something that's been in, in, in your life since you were probably three, four years old. I mean, it, it's not at all. It just couldn't be further from the truth. I don't think it matters how you go out, as you're saying, like... I've never heard of anybody sort of skipping away into the sunshine being like, way. You definitely get a lot of people saying things like, okay, right now my life can start properly in terms of having a family and settling down and forming friendships and relationships. All of these choices you make, you choose for those to be strained so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. And some people think it's worth it. Other people think it's not when they reflect on things. I mean, you talk a lot with former players and some people are, fine with it and other people do struggle a bit but you know I, I you know don't think anybody really regrets what they've done is when they've achieved to a certain level when they've been on the tour but it's um it's desperately hard it's devastating to walk away from it it doesn't matter how it happens it, it's just it's it's horrendous it's a massive part of you you've got to grieve over it essentially over this part of your life that has come to an end and and it may sound a bit much but it's not it's not even part of your life it is everything every minute of every day since you were tiny since these yeah. people were yeah. tiny has been dedicated to this everything you eat when you sleep as i say the fact that you can't have 
Um, you, some people manage it, but for a lot of players, it's really difficult with relationships and friendships and family relationships. You know, Nick Kyrgios was talking about how his um, his grandmother died and he just felt horrendously guilty and he fell really out of love with the sport because it was the sport that had taken him away and the choices he had made. He'd not spent any time with her over the past few years and then she had passed away and he was like, well, what was it all for? What, just to go and play some tennis matches? I've not maintained that relationship in the way that I would like. And, you know, and it's things like that, really. So, I mean, look, getting very big picture about it, because, you know, ultimately, you know, Federer is at the end or approaching the end very, very rapidly and desperately trying to hold on. But it's... um. It is, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Your whole life has to change. As I say, it's, I was wrong to phrase it and say this is a part of your life or this part of your life has come to an end. That's not how it is. It is literally your entire life has to change. But that's true in terms of you're still young, in terms of it's a part of your life. I, I know what you mean. It's been everything. But in terms of a part of your life, some players... I mean, look, Federer's managed to get to the age of, of 40 and there still might be something left. I'm not saying it's near the end. But that's a really good chunk of your life. You stopped playing at, what, 21? So while it was everything, at the same time, it was also just a part of your life because you then had to plan what has become the rest of your life. Yeah, and it, you know, that was sort of unexpected that it came to an end so early, but... It is, um, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, as in you have a lot of life to live after being yeah. an athlete. And, you know, I think the only exception is probably golf, where they can keep going. I mean, Phil Mickelson. They can be really Phil old, Mickelson's just, you know, <laughs> my word. It's really tough to crack into the top 100 there, isn't it? I mean, no one budges for ages. 40s, 40s, think normal. of other sports. I'm trying to think of other sports where you can sort of go on and on and, and, and possibly on. Yeah, possibly on and on and on. Uh, yeah, so I think. Um, oh, yeah, it, it's it, it. You do have a lot of life to live after after playing, and that's why we hear them talking about sort of just obviously wanting to be fit and healthy to live the rest of their lives. You know, that's what Federer is talking about with his knee; he just wants to be able to be all right and not be in pain all the time. And so, going for another surgery, and it's the same with Andy Murray and his hip, and it will be the same for Djokovic at some point, you know, there does come a point where you think, is it worth it? What I'm doing to my body, what I'm putting myself through and what are the consequences going to be? You know, you say, will Federer stretch for one more Wimbledon? I'm sure he would like to, but what are the consequences of that? Maybe his knee will be completely destroyed and he just will never be able to walk properly again. Like that, is that worth it for one more Wimbledon when you're just going to probably appear and, wave goodbye I don't know for me that wouldn't be worth it but um yeah maybe maybe it is right so it's um yeah it's it's rough it's how it is but they've lived a fantastic life being athletes that's what they wanted to do and you do have to take some time adjusting it does take a long I don't care who you are I don't care Federer Venus Williams still going and Venus Williams has got loads of businesses and all sorts she's involved in it's not like she wouldn't be busy it's not not like she would finish and just be sort of going I don't know what to do but there is still an adjustment I think that you have to make in in your life um, because you've spent your entire life being focused on one thing and that thing isn't there anymore Um, and yeah you've, you've got to sort of um figure it out I guess it does take a while and that also comes back to not necessarily retiring but if you achieve your goal and we've spoken about Dominic team reaching and winning the US Open and that had been a goal and then getting a little bit 
lost as some players can do. I've started my prep for the Paralympics that I'm working on. I'll be covering largely Great Britain's matches and there's a player you know very well, Andy Lapthorne, who'll be appearing in the quad singles and doubles. Now he took a break after the French Open last year, the one in October, and he said it all got a little bit too much for him. And it's interesting, I was reading and I, I just... I was looking at the similarities between him and Dominic Team because because Andy had said that in 2020 he became world number one, which was his life's goal, and he reached his life's goal. And then it was kind of like, oh right, and and he actually was quoted as saying, sometimes the worst thing you can do is achieve your dream. He said after that I got a little bit lost and I didn't know what to do or where to go next. And then lockdown happened, and that's something Teams talked about as well and he also talked about and we can even bring in Naomi Osaka here because he talked about the increased profile in his case on wheelchair tennis and he said he feels that had a negative effect it's interesting isn't it you you want the profile you want the interest but then he's saying there was a slight negative effect so we've got those players in the case of Roger Federer who has a very full life on and off the court but might now be facing life completely off the court and then you've got your Dominic team he had the wrist problem starting to come back who lost his way Andy Lapthorne who came back successfully this year but felt that he achieved his his dream and lost his way Naomi Osaka recently broke down again in Cincinnati at a press conference and she's talked about her anxiety facing facing the press and it's just I just think it's I just think it's 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 fascinating all the different things they have to deal with all the different things we have to look at and how everyone is so different and they're all they're all battling very different but at the same time very they're trying to find their way they're trying to find a reason and they're trying to find a goal and they're trying to find the purpose yeah well everybody needs purpose in life don't they and um i think you know i was always told the happiness happiness is a balance between purpose and pleasure in life and you know tennis players are so so focused <laughs> on the purpose <laughs> and even most of the pleasure they get is entirely linked to the purpose it's not external it, the pleasure that they get is from winning and achieving and lifting trophies so it's pretty much all about the purpose because you take that away you're taking away the pleasure as well so it's unhealthy it's an unhealthy balance you know these people are not just sort of well-rounded lovely people they wouldn't be doing what they're doing they wouldn't have this drive and this need to achieve um, all of the time and you know for me the the biggest example of it is Tyson Fury in that you know he he achieved everything that he wanted to achieve. He had this lifelong goal, um, you know, world champion, um, whatever it was. And then he stopped and then he just couldn't function. He fell into a huge depression, drink, drugs, became suicidal. The only way for him to get back out of it, to get out of it was to come back and say, well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to become world champion again. I'm going to do it. And then he has got really healthy and he has been very successful but then what happens when that comes to an end again like what can he deal with it better this time or will it be the same as before um it's yeah it's it's just it's it's incredibly incredibly difficult I sort of I've I've talked to a number of players when they've come to an end of the the end of their career and sort of helped them navigate it in the last sort of five years or so and uh, one thing that sort of keeps cropping up is like, it's almost as if it's like a childhood sweetheart that you've been with your <laughs> whole life. You've grown with them. You've depended on them. It's this hugely dependent relationship. You don't know how to function without them. And then you get to 30 and it, it comes to an end and you've got to walk away from it. And you have to sort of relearn who you are, 
without that person. So who are you without tennis? And I think we talked about it on a pod maybe sometime last year when, you know, I was saying when I stopped, I spent a couple of years trying to figure out who I was without tennis and sort of took a big step away from it because I was, I didn't want to be in that world and uh, and just work out who I just was as a person. And it was really difficult. I didn't really get very far. <laughs> <laughs> I must say before I was like nah, I prefer myself with tennis um but it's really hard like how do you yeah how do you you lose that's that, the same with goal setting isn't it with Andy Lapthorn saying you know I reached number one in the world now what do I do next it's about we've heard this with Novak Djokovic he's achieved one of his goals and he has to reset and get another purpose and another goal and at the moment for him it's no he didn't get the golden calendar year slam but it's now He's on a level with Nadal and Federer with Grand Slams. He wants to get more. He wants to get more than anybody else for for Dominic Team. It's 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 resetting and finding. Is that I don't know what. How do we relate that to your childhood sweetheart? When you achieve the goal and you need another goal, is that like dumping your childhood sweetheart, or is that <laughs> how how would you put that to a play? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that's probably maybe a different metaphor. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, the childhood sweetheart might not come into that one, but it's. I wouldn't be surprised. And I almost don't understand why Nick Kyrgios doesn't quit tennis. Like, I love watching him, even when he's a bit... Yes, he can cross the line, then you're like, oh, but he's fun. And when I know I'm doing a Kyrgios match, well, I think, oh, this could be tough to commentate on because you don't get any rhythm if, if you're doing radio commentary. But he doesn't enjoy it and he doesn't like it and he doesn't like the travelling. And I know he talked about raising the money for his foundation. I, I assume he's earned a lot of money now through sponsorship and through his tennis. So I... I kind of don't see why he's still playing. I know that sounds crazy because he is insanely talented, but he doesn't enjoy it. He he's at his happiest when he's at home. He's in Australia. He's when he's out on the road. You know, the, the gaskets blow. That the switches are flicked. It's he he doesn't enjoy it. Yeah, but he loves entertaining in front of a crowd. And he does very much enjoy that. He may not enjoy the life. He doesn't enjoy traveling. And that is a huge part of being a tennis player. And you can't be that successful without without being okay with it. Um, but if he plays a limited amount of tournaments, he still gets to entertain. And I think that's what, I think that's what he's doing it for. I mean, he, he really, really tried his best in the uh, first round of, of Toronto. He unfortunately ended up self-sabotaging and beating himself in that final set. But... Um, but how familiar is that end to a career? Yeah, of course. Match? So I don't. Of I don't get... is. He won't let himself be successful, will he? he won't let himself. So, so why do that? So why why keep doing it? Surely he can't want to entertain a crowd enough to then go through the emotions of of how his matches tend to. I, I don't see where the balance is. That I get wanting to entertain, but entertain and win. Like Medvedev can, Medvedev can be the villain and he can entertain and everyone can boo and then they can cheer and you win at the end of it. I don't get where Kyrgios' joy can be from coming out and entertaining then self-sabotaging and all those emotions that he will go through when it doesn't end well. I, I don't see where the balance is there. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, he obviously is not self-sabotaging deliberately. It's just sort of a, it's just something that, that comes up and stops him from from doing it really, but... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it, it's different for everybody. I think everybody's got a different reason for for doing what they're doing, and everybody has a different sort of balance with it. And um, I think we have to realise that all the characters are very different. 
you can get those. I think sometimes we just look at every, treat everyone the same, but I think we're realizing Naomi Osaka, she's very different to even a Serena Williams, her, her character, how she handles things, how she deals with things. Everyone deals with things differently, but I think for a long time, we just assume everyone largely is the same. You're playing tennis, this is what you do, this is what happens. But look at Dominic Team sort of stepping away, saying, actually, no, I, this. This wasn't great. I needed to back away. It, it, it didn't sit with me right. But then you get a Djokovic and he'll just power through and he'll just keep on going. Everybody, everybody's really, really different. And I think in the last few years with the examples we've had, I think we're starting to realise that. I think it's now just working out how to, whether you're commentating or whether you're in a press conference, how, how to deal with that and how to handle it. Yeah, I do think there are, I agree with you, but I do think there are some similarities between the top guys particularly but also I suppose the Williams sisters in terms of those real real top achievers um, in that they're all desperately hanging on and have absolutely no real reason to in terms of need there's just something clearly inside them that needs to continue I'm talking about Venus Serena Nadal Federer Murray I'm sure Djokovic will at some point as well um, you know in comparison to some other players that just sort of you know hold a hand up and say right calling it a day there um, it may not be when they're at, at their peak. Um, you remember Leighton Hewitt playing for years and years and years yeah. and years and years to keep summing himself <laughs> in for dubs all the time. He's, I'll play with the Davis Cup guys. They can learn from <laughs> they can learn from Leighton. Um, but yeah, so but it's a I, drug, d- isn't it? It's a drug. Of course, of course. When you're at that very very top level, when you're around, uh, I've never been in any of these levels. But I imagine when you're around fifty or a hundred, the drug is not as strong as when you're winning Grand Slam trophies and you're being feted and you have an entourage and you're on private planes. I mean, that is a lifestyle. So you're I mean, saying we is, need some. We need rehab for for players when they come well, to the end of their careers. <laughs> I don't, maybe in a, in a way, you know, you, you suddenly but can yeah, you counseling. imagine? But can you imagine waking up the next day and so you've quit? You said right, that's that's it, and I'm and I'm done. And you're you've been one of the top players in the world. And the next day, all those people you had around you that would book courts and call you and check, they're not there. And maybe for for a bit, it's quite nice the peace. But then. They've been there every day, whether it's someone saying you've got this press duty to do or we've got this court booked or we've got the rackets over here. Or we've got this promotion over here or we're going to go and do this fitness work over here. That all stops. I mean, yeah. And also most of them move on to other jobs, uh, to other yeah, players, yeah. other jobs. And it's not like they're coming around to hang out and play they've video retired games as well or have because, dinner. Yeah, yeah they, they, they continue on. The agent has other clients and, you know, everybody that's in your box really apart from your family, will move on and be in somebody else's box at, well, at some point. And it's addictive. You know, these, these guys are playing at the very top where the adrenaline is at its highest and the, the money and, the, and the, the, the prizes and everything that comes with it, the adulate, everything is at its max, those top guys we're talking about. And yeah, I imagine there's something to having a quiet life, but it's, it's, it's finding the balance. It has to be the right time. I guess they're waiting. And Nadal said, didn't he, that lockdown taught him that you know, it wasn't so bad. And a few players realised, actually, it wasn't so bad being at home and doing some different things, whether they want that long term. And they'll have to have other things. Federal, I'm sure there'll be a grieving process for tennis, but he'll be fine in terms of everything he has going on in his life. But I'm sure there'll be a time when, yeah, everything's stopped. And those things, those people who are rehabbing you aren't going to be there to rehab you. And it's just... Kind of you and your family and your wife saying, can you pick the children up? And you can't say, well, no, I've, I've got to go to rehab. No, you haven't. Got to go and get the kids. You've got to go to after school club. And you're coming with me to that teacher parent meeting thing that you've avoided for so many years. 
<laughs> you're coming and you're like yep i'm coming so it, it's it's different isn't it it's but it's it, look it happened it happens to everyone and it happens to everyone in in different walks of life but as you say and you know this when it's been your life it's very very difficult when it stops <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So what did you make of the Osaka thing? Her press conference this week where um, she got quite upset uh, once again. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? I um listening to and chatting with some of our friends who work in tennis all the time. I believe the situation was I wasn't at the press conference. I didn't listen to it. I think I was asleep due to the time difference and, and sort of stepping away for these couple of weeks um, or trying to step away. But tennis has a way of kind of pulling you back in again. It was someone I believe not from the tennis world, not that that should necessarily make a difference, but I, I, Naomi Saka still seems in a quite a vulnerable place when it comes to the press and talking. I don't think, despite what we see on her Instagram and Twitter and, and her sponsors, I don't think she's, I, I don't know her at all. I think I've interviewed her once. She's not naturally a outgoing person, despite the fact we've seen her doing speeches and, she doesn't feel comfortable in press conferences. Um, from what people have said, the question that was put to her, it wasn't necessarily a bad question, but maybe the way it was put to her, it wasn't someone that she's used to or feels comfortable with. This was her first proper press conference since she spoke to a few people in Tokyo for the Olympics, but back on the tour. And she got upset. And look, I think it, we've just had the earthquake in Haiti, which I imagine has unsettled her and upset her for understandable reasons but in terms of going forward with Osaka and the press I still think this is a tricky one because I I don't know I think but then again saying I think something's got to change should it have to change I'm not sure I I don't know where you sit with on this one but I've always had the feeling that the tennis community are pretty good to Naomi Osaka no one's ever really attacked her I mean I can name other players who really get it when they go into their press conference mm -hmm. and they kind of batten down the hatches like whoa um but she's obviously still in a vulnerable position doesn't feel comfortable doing it but in terms of I still think she has to do it though she is so big for the sport she's so important for the sport she does need to be doing these press conferences and she does need to be answering these questions but it does feel like this is going to go on and on doesn't it each time we're in this situation because journalists are going to ask the questions. And I read the transcript yep. of the exchange. I didn't listen to it, so I haven't heard the tone, so I can't comment on that. But in terms of what was written down, it seemed like a fairly fair question. Okay, maybe journalists within the world of tennis who would like to keep Naomi Osaka on side are going to tiptoe around the subject for a little while. But really, it was seemed like a fairly straightforward question of... Um, okay, so you've had this issue with press conferences, you haven't done any in a while, so how are you going to balance this now moving forward because you've got other high-profile pro media that you seem to be okay with? So sort of like, what's the deal? Um, yeah, it, it seemed like a fairly obvious question that was going to come her way, really. Um, I just don't understand. I mean, 
you know, I, I don't really want to give an opinion on on whether she should do press conferences or, or not. I, definitely her, her team, the WTA and the ITF need to work out a way in which she can do them, I think, um, a, a way that is fair for other players on the tour and, you know, just a, a way that works for everybody, that she is able to give her opinion on things, um, give her insight, use her own words, um, but feel comfortable with it. Um, but I don't think you can really stop those sorts of questions because it wasn't really a, you know, it was sort of a very straightforward question just to see what her opinion was on it now. Um, I just don't really know why she just doesn't answer. You know, we, we've had this for, for years of, you know, Venus has done it, Serena has done it, Sharapova has done it, where they just sort of fob you off with an answer as a ranker does it all the time. Or literally just say, I don't want to answer that. You, you don't have to. Like, as in, the obligation is to do the press conference. There is no obligation to actually give insightful answers. You don't have to tell the truth. You can lie. You can answer a different question. I mean, you can literally answer an entirely different question and say, you know, he asks that question about what she's feeling with press conferences and and she can say, oh, I love Cincinnati. It's great. Have you been on the roller coaster? It's fab. <laughs> you could literally say whatever you want. Um, or you could just say, I don't want to answer that. And we do see that. I mean, we've seen some of the top players laugh and some of the guys, Djokovic, Nadal, they've all done it at some point where they've, the question's been so stupid and so sort of unfairly loaded. They've just sort of laughed and just gone, I'm not going to answer that. Come on. And even you know. Daniel Medvedev at the Olympics, a question was put to him about, as we know, Russia were competing as the Russian Olympic Committee, etc. And a question was put to him about Russia and, and the scandal that meant that's how they were representing their country. And, and he said, he said, look, I answer every question, but I take offence to this. I think it's ridiculous. I'm not going to answer it. And that was it. Yeah, it's literally, it's fine. And no one has it. You can do what you want. So I don't really understand. And, and I'm not criticising Osaka here, although it may sound like I am, but I'm just sort of looking at the, the team and she's obviously had this break. And I'm just sort of surprised they didn't come back with a plan. You know what I mean? Like to come back with a plan of this is how we're going to deal with press conferences. She was clearly very vulnerable again, emotional again. So she's not got to a place where she's sort of okay with it. I mean, you're right. It may be to do with the, the horrendous situation in Haiti. But it, yeah, it just seems sort of very strange to me that she didn't sort of just come in with a plan. You know, sometimes I've seen interviews that Venus Williams has done, and I've said this before, and she just <laughs> says, I don't know, to every single uh, question. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, and it can just be so bland. Um, you know, sometimes you hear players throwing it back at the the journalist asking the question, say, well, what do you think? Yeah. You've asked my, what do you think? You know, I yeah, it just seems like there are so many strategies that would protect her from this. She could just say, do you know what? This topic is off limits. If anybody asks, you can't stop them asking the questions because it's not a one-on-one -on -one interview where you can make your terms. This is an open interview. And you can just say, I'm not answering anything about that. And you can even say that. Like You could say, I'm not answering anything about press conferences or my opinion on press conferences. And then and you can just keep repeating that. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it feels like, you know, it's just, it's not nice to see her there getting upset again, getting worked up again before a big tournament, before US Open. She's looking to defend her title and she's clearly not in a good place with it. And it, it, I just sort of feel like there's got to be a better plan here. Like there's just got to be sort of a 
this is how we deal with press conferences now. And she's just sort of wandered in there and had a chat. And to be fair to her, 100%, Osaka tried to answer the question as best she could. She was given an opportunity to bail out of it. And she said, no, 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 I want to answer it. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, I feel like it would be good, you know, if she would just sort of protect herself a little bit more and, and just shut it down. Just say, no, not doing it. I'm not playing that game. No, I agree. I, I think there needs to be a plan. We don't want to see her or anybody upset in press conferences, but unless something's going to change, press conferences are a part of, of the job, of what they do. She will continue to do them. And as you say, you have the tennis journalists, but every tournament you'll have local journalists and maybe they cover baseball. And their bosses said, hey, we've got a tournament in, you're going to go and do tennis. I don't do tennis, go and do tennis. You know, that might be the case. And so they go in, who are we speaking to? Oh, we're speaking to this person, right, okay. And in we go. So you are going to get those journalists. You'll get journalists with agendas, say they've got a piece to write on player's favorite fruit. And each player will be asked, what's your favourite fruit to eat? Oh, like a strawberry. Brilliant. And that person will ask that question to every single player and you'll get this array of fruit or you'll get someone that doesn't cover tennis and his boss has said, in you go for this tournament. And then you'll get the guys that follow these players throughout the year. Players have to be prepared for everything. And as you say, a plan, whether it's a no comment plan, whether it's a, there has to be something. And I, I think especially because Naomi Osaka is so visible on other platforms that might lead people who maybe don't cover tennis all the time to say, hey, but I've seen you doing this, this and this. So how come this? So I think you're right. Just a plan going forward, dealing with press conferences because you don't want to see anyone upset. She's very important for the game. We want her to stay in the game for as long as possible and to, to be as vocal as possible. Yeah, and what I felt, it, it was the same thing I felt as sort of Roland Garros with, with the whole thing is like I, I can I can really sort of understand that she's struggling with it. Where she's coming from, I suppose, to an extent. I don't know what it's like to be Naomi Osaka. I've got no idea. I can only fa- imagine the, the levels of Do you not pressure. have 20 sponsorship deals currently? No. 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 But, you know... You know, and obviously I, I, I can see how that is incredibly difficult, but it just seems like there are options. And this is what I was saying at the time, there is a way forward. And even if it was just the immediate future at Roland Garros, there would have been a way forward because we have seen it before, um, uh, you know, with the sport um, in terms of allowing people leniency with press conferences. It's happened before. It happened at Wimbledon right after with the Brit Emma Raducanu. She clearly was distressed after her match. Not a single person, and you know, you were you were in the media. Not a single person in the media expected her to do a press conference after that. No, not one no. person. All they were waiting for was a statement that they were yep. told was coming. The statement in the end came the next day. She didn't do the press conference. She didn't get fined. It was nothing to do with what Osaka had done at Roland Garros. It would have happened if this was the year before as well. That is standard protocol they will never ever expect you to do a press conference if you're distressed even in this press conference with Naomi Osaka she was um, offered by the moderator to bail out of the question saying you don't need to answer it she was then allowed to leave and compose herself and move as in no she wanted to answer the question and wanted to try and ask the question making it happen so I just I felt at the time that I think Osaka probably just panicked a bit and just come in hard with her stance on it in refusing to do it and I was a bit like well there are quite a lot of options that can resolve this for you uh, or not resolve it but at least in the short term through Roland Garros make it so that you you're okay with doing press conferences and that the tournament are okay that you are fulfilling at least part of your obligations and then we can then they'll come up with a, a longer term thing but yeah as I say there are 
feels like again there are options and it's just they haven't really explored it like she's just walked into a press conference like she normally would which she clearly hates and finds incredibly stressful so like why yeah I I don't know I find it all a bit bizarre after everything that happened with Roland Garros it led to her missing two grand slams two grand slams as a four-time grand slam champion she missed two um because she went home to rest and recuperate because there was huge amounts of stress. And then and it probably had an effect on the Olympics as well. Absolutely. With a knock-on effect. That there was no way she could have gone into that not feeling some of the weight of what she was carrying. Yeah, and then we get here to the US Open series and it's like, but nothing has... like there, There's no new plan. Like, she's just back in it. And I sort of feel like it's not very fair on her to just chuck, it back, chuck her back in it with no... Oh, I don't know. It's 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 so it's so difficult. It's so complicated. Um, you know, I just hope that they're sort of working to find a way that she's going to be able to do this because this is just going to be exhausting for her if she's just consistently upset in these press conferences. As you were saying, this is going to rumble on, and I don't think people are going to stop asking her about it. Um, and just because they stop asking her about it, that doesn't mean she's necessarily okay in press conferences, right? So, like, you just. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I was very, um, very surprised that it it panned out like that. Yeah, no, I have to. I I woke up and was looking through social media. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and then, as I say, looked into it a bit more. I also um, have run a poll on who today would be crowned WTA Player of the Year because you went yep. Barty, I went Krejcikova. And I'm very happy to say that Barbora came out on top. <laughs> it was it was very narrow, though. Very, very narrow margins. Yeah, but I don't know how this has happened, to be honest. Like, I'm a I didn't fan fix of... it. I didn't fix it. I, well, I'm I'm not convinced. I voted here. once. I did, I, but then when I messaged you and I said, oh, Barbora's winning, you said, right, I'm going to vote. And your vote still didn't give Barty the win. <laughs> so we both tried to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I did try and give the nudge, nudge to Barty. Yeah, I'm sorry, all of the listeners that voted. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I think she's had a fantastic year, but she's ranked number ten in the world. You don't have to be ranked number one to be Player of the Year. That's not. I think you've not, got to be that's, fairly that's like not up a, there. That's you? not a prerequisite that you're number one player in the world. Therefore, you're Player of the Year. When did the men's player of the year ever go to the not the number one? Yes, but normally... Almost never. But normally the person who's number one, let's just say Djokovic now, has sort of scooped up half the Grand Slams along the way and done X, Y and Z. Barbora has got a gold at the Olympics. She's picked up her first Grand Slam, effectively coming from nowhere as a singles player. When we think of her ranking the French Open before, winning the doubles the same couple of weeks as you do, going back to number one in doubles. I mean, winning tournaments around. I mean, it's been it's been sensational. It's been excellent. It's been excellent. And she's just playing really well now. I I love that she's like top 10 and she's just plays like, yeah, I'm a. I've been a top 10 player for ages, guys. Why are you all looking at me like that? It's just so well, funny. Darren sent us an email firmly on your side saying the best female tennis player, as it currently stands, is without argument, Ash Barty. Then Agreed. Goes I don't even on know how to, we're having this conversation. He says in singles alone, her 2021 season looks a little bit like this. Four singles titles, including Wimbledon and Miami, Stuttgart and Melbourne, runner-up Madrid, only player to win a title on all three surfaces. Best yep. winning percentage on tour at 83.3%. That's 35 wins and seven losses, with two of those losses due to retirement. Number one for most aces served to date. Continues to comfortably hold number one ranking. Uh, the last player to achieve this was Serena Williams. 
because if she gets it for a third successive year. Number one in the race to Shenzhen. Is it going to happen? Number one in year-to-date prize money earnings. I don't know what more she needs to do to justify her claim to be the best female tennis player of the year, says Darren. Yes. Yes, Darren, thank you. All right, (laughs) there you go. Number one listener. He's listener of the year for me. Someone who might be able to make a late run for it is Camilla Georgie because what <laughs> what what I love, love it. What is your criteria based on? Because what I love about Camilla Georgie is she does not give a damn. Absolutely oh, yeah. love about she doesn't give a damn if you like her, if you don't like her, if you want to shake a hand, if you don't want to shake a hand. If she, I remember watching Eastbourne playing so well, then she didn't really look injured, but she says, "You know what? I'm just going to I'm going to quit. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm off now. Right, done. I just." I, the, and the father with the sort of Einstein hair, who hasn't actually seen him around, haven't really seen him since Rome, I don't think, around that much. But just isn't she great? I mean, she's powerful. And if she can keep this accuracy with her power for the rest of 2021, it's frightening. Yeah, but she can't, though. <laughs> All right, then. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look. I'm a massive fan of Georgie. She's great. I think she's shown tremendous resilience over the years. Think of all the people, i.e. everyone except her dad, who would have told her, maybe get it in more. Like That was probably, <laughs> the, that, that's, just, that's just happened the whole way through her career. And she's gone, no, this is how I'm playing. Um, look, she's, she's fast and furious. It's just, it's a very, very high risk game. And we've seen it with high risk games before, not even as high risk games as Georgie, but we have seen it with high risk games before with Ostapenko, even a Johanna Conta, so, so confidence based. When the wheels come off, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, I believe I said in a pod ages ago, a couple of years ago, that I'm surprised that Georgie's level hasn't come together. You know, like we saw with Ostapenko or we saw, you know, full 18 months with Conta come together for that sort of length. I don't think it would, it's just too high, it's way more high risk than their games. So I don't think it would come together for that length of time, but maybe not a slam, but a tournament exactly like Montreal. Um, I was just sort of like, I'm surprised it hasn't quite come together to win that size of an event. And so, you know, now it has. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not surprised. I feel like this has been a long time coming because she sort of starts to threaten. But play like that for the rest of 2020, I will be very surprised. Well, I would be because it's 2021. 2021. <laughs> <but> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes back inside the top 35 for the first time since May 2019. And just a reminder of her run to the title, she beat Mertens, Podoroska, Kvitova, Goff, Pegula and Pliskova dropping one set along the way. I mean, boy, did it come together. It did. And she could continue on for a little while now. You could, she could get a little run over a few weeks. And I really hope she does. As I say, I'm a massive, massive fan and I'm not trying to do her down at all. But when you play like that, that's how, how it goes. I mean, you think on the men's side, the equivalent is sort of like a Basilashvili. He picks up these titles and then he crashes and burns in other in other events. And that's just how it goes. I did his match against her catch in Toronto and there was well over 100 unforced errors. Let's say 105. <laughs> but I'm not going to lie. It was tough going at times because when you're trying to analyze a match and it's it's just the same thing happening over yeah. every single yeah, point. It's, it's just error, 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 error. After two hours, you're sort of like, I don't know how to say this anymore there's nothing different just stay silent less is is more sometimes (laughs) exactly and on the um 
on the stats wrap now you know i'm a fan of her catch i am partly yep. polish and i'm a big fan of his i'm actually i've, I've always enjoyed watching basil ashvili play but, but you're not um, partly georgian are you? i'm not <laughs> not partly georgian <laughs> but ha- however um uh, in my in the stats wrap where we got it, and it, it showed they'd both had over fifty unforced errors, and it was a total of one hundred and five. And I said oh. said something like, "Yeah, you can see one hundred and five unforced errors there between the two of them, and we felt every single one of them." <laughs> it was just it was just one of those matches. I guess did incredibly well to come through it. But anyway, it, it's sort of. It's it's that sort of thing, um, you know, for Georgie, and we we have seen her play matches where she's just nailed the ball out for the for the yeah. whole, whole thing. No, but I'm so thrilled for her. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. She's she. I just love the fact she doesn't give a damn. I just really like that. And asked, you know, she just said, "Look, it, I was just waiting, and the, I think she said something about the planets aligning, or they just came together, and it happened." And she just even when she won it, she's just so chilled out. I mean, she was very chatty in the presentation ceremony, um, but she just yeah, no, she's uh, she. Yeah, she makes me laugh. So I don't think I'll pick her for Cincy. But we've got all the big guns. We haven't got Serena. We expect Serena back for the US Open. But we've got the big guns of the women's draw. The big guns, well, we know the ones who aren't there in the, in the men's. So I've gone Medvedev for the men's. I haven't picked I haven't picked a woman. Um, I will go, oh, actually, give me, yeah, hang on a sec. Who are you going for the men's while I think about the women's? Uh, I think I went with Berrettini. You got Berrettini, have you? Mm. I see. Oh, he's in, is he in the top half of the draw with Medvedev? Is he? I'm not sure. not sure. And so, who are you going for for the women? It's difficult, isn't it? It's quite a lot of them playing well. I mean, Pliskova reaching the final, and she's she's being fairly consistent now after her Wimbledon yeah. performance mm. as well. She could come through and take a title. Could be very dangerous at the U.S. Open. She's been the finalist there before. I mean, Sabalenka. Yeah. Honestly, it's stick a pin in it, isn't it? Really, but it's because they're all playing so well. Um, yeah, so I say Sabalenka. So you're not going for the person that you've named Player of the Year? Can't believe that. No, I'm not. <laughs> I just generally can't believe that. Uh, right, I will go. Oh, I want to go Andreescu, but I just it... don't think it's a bad shout. Yeah, but is the body going to hold up? Is the she is in the Sabalenka? Bottom half of the draw with Osaka, Andreescu, Sabalenka. Oh, okay. I'll go Andreescu. Why not? Okay, they are my perfect. They are my. And you're on for Cincinnati. You're on late, but not too late. Is that right? Ah, uh, well, early late. You're, on, you're get, on early late. Early late. I get assigned matches, so we'll just see how so you uh, see how that pans out. See how it pans out. And I'm so yeah. I'm going to have to head off soon. Yeah, I'm still watching from afar. I did though have one of my quickest runs in a while today. Purely because I was chased by two dogs, which was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I was I was running through a field. It was very nice and quiet. Suddenly these two dogs appeared and I turned and I thought they don't look too friendly. So I, I gave it. So I proved to myself that I can run faster if I'm sort of running for my life. And uh, and it worked. But uh, hoping to go back to avoiding the dogs, keep enjoying some time with the family and getting ready, getting ready to return, getting ready to return to tennis. Lovely. Well, we can speak next week. We can enjoy Cincinnati. Oh, and Kate, our listener Kate said she's going to miss us both in Cincinnati because she was planning on delivering cakes to us. So maybe we've got to try and make a plan for 2022 to try and be there and accept the cakes from Kate. Perfect. I'll just go and buy cakes and eat them. And there we go. Actually, yeah, why not? We'll do that. In the meantime, (laughs) Kate will do that. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.